0: FM to get started.
1: The mega powers unite to save Hulkamania. We're talking Uncensored 1996 with Eric Bischoff. You listen to them, now hang out with us. This is After 83 Weeks with Christy Olson. That's me. You're tuned in to After Buzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz begin. Hello everybody, I hope you're ready to talk some uh, 83 weeks with Eric Bischoff This is the show for all you fans out there of that show to come after listening We break down all the big reveals, we get your fan reactions And we will be talking to Eric Bischoff himself in just a little bit Let me introduce you to our panel, this guy is a veteran of the biz You can also see him hosting AfterBuzz Buzz TV's Smackdown After Show Hello Christian Rosenberg
2: What is up? I'm pumped for this show. Yes. I'm not quite sure why, but I'm pumped up for it.
1: <laughs> well, I'd love to hear that. Yes. Let's let's see where this guy is on the pumped up scale. We call him the Encyclopedia of Professional Wrestling. He calls himself The Devastator 2. It's George Hermosa. We got a
3: big match March 29th, so just be prepared to know what's going to happen at the end of the Pre-prepared.
1: Great promo! I'm going to
3: save the energy for, you know, later. The energy is down now, so, you know, for an Eric and the end of the show.
1: All right, Spoiler well, I, I count on this guy to keep you two wrangled in a little bit. He runs the YouTube pages for Eric Bischoff and lots of your other favorite wrestling stars. Hi, Steve Kaufman.
0: Hello, I I'm a wrangler now.
1: I'm going to need some help over here.
0: You're here for one reason. I will try to (laughs) wrangle these two.
1: I do have my Mega Powers t-shirt on today. I, I wonder what everybody who's tuning in live on YouTube is rocking. You guys can maybe tell me there in the live chat. That would be weird, but that could... It weird. You're, yeah, you're asking everyone. But in the right. chat, <laughs> then Speci- DMs
0: specifically well, what t-shirt they're wearing. We
1: do, we do want them to join us uh, live. We are on at eight p.m. Eastern time. Math is hard, <laughs> and uh, you can also catch us on Apple Podcasts too. Make sure you rate and subscribe and leave a little comment. We love to hear from you, and we will shout you out on the show. And uh, tonight we are also playing a fun game that I'm calling Gimmick Match Mania.
0: I have a really fun one.
1: All right. Oh, good, good. I have faith in
2: you, Steve. I think yours are going to be the best one. Fantasy fake matches is your specialty.
1: And we know yes. that Eric Bischoff loves gimmick matches. Yes. So he is going <laughs> to uh, be the judge on that one. We'll see if our Christian Rosenberg, who is now two for two on the games, is victorious once again. I'm,
2: I'm putting myself at, at a handicap with this because this, I'm, I'm more on the facts. So well, my streak's on the line.
1: All right. Well, we will have to see. But first, let's chat a little bit about Uncensored 1996. So uh, kind of to set the tone here a little bit, Nitro had been around for like six months, and they're developing this cruiserweight division. And Eric said, you know, it's all about being different from WWF at this time and that he was really committed to the cruiserweights and thinking that that would be a way to do it. Any thoughts on uh, this emergence of the cruiserweight division in WCW? I just think
3: enough months have passed by to kind of see what really Nitro was about. Um, Obviously, they just debuted on, I want to say, September, uh, September like Fourth or whatever uh, of '95, it wasn't that day, but yeah, I mean, I I think it's been enough months where it's like, all right, now we know what Nitro is. Let's see, you know, how different it is. And I think they really did offer a lot of, you know, new faces, new names, new match, new matches, new divisions, and it really was a contrast to what WWF was providing, which they had just come off like in your house, like uh, Brett versus Diesel and like a cage match or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I like that WWF was doing different things.
2: Yeah, um, my main thing when I would watch Nitro. I mostly paid attention to the first hour of the show when I would be switching back and forth, because the first hour is when you saw the cruiserweights. Oh. That first Mm. hour is where the cruiserweights were heavily featured. You rarely saw them in in hours two or hour three. Mm -hmm. So I was fascinated because these are all faces that I've never seen before, all these moves I've never seen before. Um, So it it definitely caught my attention with that. I'm waiting for the 83 weeks solely about cruiserweights. Mm -hmm. I was surprised. That.
1: That's a great idea. I've but,
2: cut it together between the Jericho episode
1: and this eight-minute. Re- there's
2: about an hour on the
0: cruiserweight okay. already up on the ship.
1: Well, and and around this time, they know that they're getting Holland Nash soon, and also somebody else on his way out. One Johnny B. Bad, who we've talked about quite a bit on this show, is jumping ship because Vince McMahon is going to make him a big. Star Eric set the record straight on this. Uh, there was a story about them having a, a meeting, and uh, that of course Eric, you know, was so angry about this, and he refuted all of those reports.
0: Yeah, um, he's he's mentioned this a couple times. That similar to like when we tell him how much the Big Show made or how much the Big Show made to go to WWF, and he's like. Yeah, I'd have done that too. I would had nothing for him. Like the, the Johnny B. Bad, the Mark Marrow of it all, always felt that way. Every time he talks about it, consistently, where he's like, "Yeah, if Vince, if Mark Marrow thinks Vince McMahon is going to make him a huge star and is going to pay him that much, he should leave." Because mm-hmm. I have nothing for him on that level, on that scale. Right.
1: Well, I know we all tune in and watch the uh, the pay per view that we're talking about. So, <laughs> did you guys see this low blow between the, the Conan Eddie thing? I Eric said he creative. couldn't even he couldn't even catch it. What was I mean? Was I mean, I,
3: I think maybe maybe on our level because maybe we were viewers, but I, I mean, I thought it was clever. I thought it was I thought it was a unique way to end. end the oh, match. I
2: hated it so much. Why? Oh, this this honestly from like beginning to end, which I was going to break down the matches more. This this may be the single worst pay per view like of all pay per views. <laughs> think so? Um, there was one match on this show that I enjoyed, and it was not this one. Because uh, it went way too long, and yeah, that finish with it, yeah, the Univerdin. It took the commentators a minute to address it because mm-hmm. they weren't quite sure at first what happened. Either the crowd obviously had no idea what happened, and like um, Eric and Conrad mentioned uh, during the podcast, there was like ten or eleven other low blows during this match. Mm-hmm. Why was this the only one that happened to finish the match?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I with with as much as these guys did for as long as they did it. For it to end with that just completely drew me off this match.
0: Eric talks a lot about storytelling by broad strokes, and this one was way too subtle for me. Because the commentary has to explain that the referee's authority and jurisdiction, he's, a, he's able to, if he sees an infraction, throw the match out, and he's decided that's what's going to happen now, which is really in the weeds. Whereas the same story, which is low blow, low blow, low blow, low blow, hey, knock it off, knock it off, knock it off, knock it off. That's it. Match is out. Like, that's a broad stroke story that we didn't get here. Mm-hmm. And, the com- and the commentary could have put over if they knew that that was going to be the finish.
1: Right, well, and you know, I think somebody needs to take responsibility too for the fact that there were so many on the show. These a lot, there's a lot of veteran wrestlers on this pay per view. How did nobody? How is nobody watching the match before them? How is nobody? That's the biggest. That's the, the first thing I learned when I started working in the wrestling business. And I wasn't even a worker. Was like you watch the match before we, yours I mean, and you. I mean, make I, sure that you're not doing the same moves as absolutely. other matches. We Kind of see absolutely.
3: who the we always hear about the agents and. Um, WWF, but WCW. We didn't really hear about that many agents. And there's one thing. And I remember we were watching doing a fast lane on the mm-hmm. pay per view, and he was said, "All right, Dean Ambrose is going to turn." Dean Ambrose. No, we already saw Shane McMahon turn. We're not going to see two turns on the same night. Right. Kind of similar to this, where it's like clearly, like like if there's WCW, Dean Ambrose would have totally turned mm-hmm. because you know the people aren't in sync with each other. You know, hence why like maybe the, the finishes were, or there were certain spots in the match that were just kind of the same, like, and nobody's communicating,
2: and they're countless times that I could tell you from other shows that, that I've worked in the past where you saw one or the other thing. People watch on the monitor, something happens in a match and they're like, oh, alright, we gotta scrap that let's come up with something else. Or on the other end, say say George, you're, let's just say your finishing move is a frog splash. That's your finisher and you're set to go over in your match. Opening match, someone does a frog splash and the guy kicks out.
4: It's funny. Like,
2: you need to know who else is on that show, yeah. what to do. Um, I remember um, formerly Simon Gotch. Mm-hmm. In, oh. There was um, a, a show that I worked many, many years ago with him where someone used his finisher in the opening match as a comeback move. Mm-hmm. And he, oh my God, was he pissed. <laughs> because the guys didn't pay attention to who was there and what their stories are, what their moves are. Mm-hmm. And that's crucial, especially on a pay per view yeah. where you're having all these payoff matches. You need to pay attention to that stuff. It's funny, even going back
3: to what you just said, we were doing a practice match a couple of days ago. Practice match and training. A practice match. Mm-hmm. like, And we were doing tag matches. The first match had two specific spots that we had in our match. So literally, we were like, all right, we need to change it up. Like, yeah. in a practice match, let alone not on TV, not on pay-per-view, like, even us doing practice, like, we recognized, hey, we should probably switch it up. You know, the fact that we saw the first match had an insecurity and a suicide dive, let's switch it up. George, mm-hmm. you
0: talking about practice? I'm talking about practice. You're talking you you're not even talking about the game. You're talking about practice. No, I'm saying
3: like that's how you know much I it got. Is I, got you know? <laughs> I got I don't know what you're saying. It's
0: just like yeah. <laughs> he's All too right. fired up to get into that <laughs> yeah. reference.
1: I was gonna say I I don't. Uh, I can't recall. The reference anyway, yeah. how is this for a question? How can a match between Regal and Fit Finley not be great?
2: Like, because how, this was yeah, how, how, how does that even happen? Because this was the only match I enjoyed on the show.
1: Okay, this was the one. This
2: was the one, and it had a no finish. Right, and and it had a no finish, and I still enjoyed it because these guys. Beat the hell out yes. of each other so badly, where like I, I rewatched this match over the weekend in preparation for this, and you know going in I'm like oh, okay I forgot about this match, but Regal and Finley with his weird Belfast brawler gimmick, mm-hmm. but it's gonna be good. And then like within a couple minutes in the match, I'm just like, uh huh. I was at the edge of my seat because no, obviously no high risk moves. These guys don't do high risk moves, but it wasn't a lot of like submission holds or chain wrestling that Rigo's known for. It was just a freaking brawl Mm -hmm. that the crowd really didn't know how to react Mm -hmm. to, which those type of things I actually enjoyed because you're taken aback not for a bad thing, but just because I was not expecting this out of these people. Mm -hmm. Where do we go from here? And in WCW in 96,
0: what you would have expected out of this kind of a stiff match would have been more a Japanese strong style, which is th- that's not what this is. No, it's a, it's a European brawl that we've only reached Europeans just beating the yeah. crap out of each other. I it's just I like I like how many flavors of wrestling there are, and this is one. This is one you can show like oh you if you're into like boxing mm-hmm. in real life and you're kind of dipping your toe in wrestling, this is the match to show you. Yeah, your these friends. are one, I
3: think these are one of the things that really stood out you know for Nitro. Because, again, you flip over, you would see, I think they were still kind of doing enhancement matches, you would see, like, P.J. Walker against, you know, Justin Hard, Ho- Justin Hart Ho- Bradshaw, you know? It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's what you're seeing, but then you flip over to WCW, because you would see that on Nitro a lot. You would see Regal, Bobby, and Dave Taylor, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. Finley, like, just kind of killing it on a weekly
0: basis. You would see Regal go up for a, um, it? what was, not the spear, the jackhammer, against his will. We want to talk about stiff matches mm-hmm. with William Regal.
2: And- and, and then, again, even with, like, the finish of this, where it was DQ, blah, 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 Eden, and, and D- Taylor came down, the fact that Finley then sprinted after, um, you know, like, sprinted after them, where he didn't pose, the music really didn't play, it, again, left the crowd of, was that real? What's, what's happening right now? And so I'm like, have a camera follow them right now. I want to see what's going on.
1: Well, uh, we talked a little bit. Uh, never mind. No, we didn't. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit later uh, with Eric about intergender wrestling. What did you guys think of this match? You know, it wasn't oh, as thing? it wasn't
2: as bad as when I saw what was supposed to be yeah happen because I'm like, all right, Colonel Rob Parker's having a match with Medusa. This is not going to be good, but he played his role. Yeah, he was not Obviously, supposed to be a good wrestler. He he took the bumps as a manager should take them. You're not supposed to take them cleaner, Chris, because he's not a wrestler. Right. Um, finish was a little weak, but I thought for what it was needed and what it was worth, it wasn't horrific.
1: No. Not know. That's
3: because Parker's a pro. Like, yeah. you know, Robert Fuller, like, that guy's got history in the business. Fast forward to another intergender match with Medusa. Medusa in Oklahoma. Ed Farrar is not a wrestler. Right. Like, he has no business being in that ring. I suppose I think it came across a lot better than we thought because it's Robert Fuller. It's Colonel Robert Parker that's got, you know, legacy in the business. Mm-hmm.
1: And Medusa, I just have to say, is one of the most awesome people in this business. She's so cool to talk to. She knows so much. She's just so interesting. Like... We'll we'll talk to Eric yeah, about her too. Got a I'm sure he'll him. I'm sure he'll mimic, mimic that sentiment. But <laughs> you will hear a lot of people say that she is just one of the most wonderful people in the biz, and that is true. Um, all right, there was a lot of crap after this. It was kind <laughs> of crap. Did you after guys crap? watch
3: the Loch Ness with Mean Gene promo? Of course, that yes. was like one of the best. Poem, and that's like because you know you, you hear about the Mean Gene episodes. You know, a couple weeks ago or a month ago or, a couple, or whatever with Bischoff. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Pritchard and you hear, you hear these Mean Geneisms. This is classic Mean Gene. Just like, oh, you know, I got a friend in Florida. He's a a dentist. And just like his reaction, I'm like, oh, God, he's going to come here. Like, to me, that was one of the highlights of the show. The
2: best moment of Loch Ness's career was his his stare at Mean Gene. (laughs) Or just Mean Gene's reaction, too. I was like, oh, Mean Gene.
1: Ah, to be able to react. That must have been cool.
0: I'll bring it up. I couldn't find a good graphic of Loch Ness, so I actually cut out his stare at Mean Gene. You'll find that graphic later on this channel. That's where I found it.
1: Perfect. Good work, Steve. It was Loch Perfect. Ness's stare. Well, uh, if, if you guys are that into uh, Loch Ness, what do you have to say about a little character we call the Booty Man, <laughs> who went toe to toe, but cheek to cheek? Shall we? Shall we say with DDP forever?
2: This match felt like it yes. was forever. Yes. And the fact that it was just a few weeks ago that Kimberly was with Johnny B. Bad. All of a sudden, she runs out, looking at the camera, screaming, "I hope he could be my boyfriend."
1: So sad. This was, She's so pathetic. Oh and my sad god! And horrible.
0: I'm aware Bruce Pritchard claims there is no <laughs> box of gimmicks, but I think there is a box of gimmicks and Ed Leslie gets to go into it as much as he wants. No, he
2: owns the box of gimmicks. It's
0: oh, at his okay. house. The box oh. of gimmicks is in Tampa. I got it. Yeah.
3: I mean, we kind of heard Eric kind of rail off on Ed Leslie during the episode like, I mean, I guess us as panelists, analysts like, do we think that Beefcake's success is only because of Hulk Hogan? Yes. Like solely because of Hulk Hogan? Yes.
1: I think that
0: because that's what Eric said. I think his multiple chances are because of Hulk Hogan. Also, I yes. think he event, but I think he I think by saying just his Success is attributed to Hulk Hogan. Discounts what he does when he gets the opportunity. Like he actually goes out there and gets over. It's unfortunate with weird characters like the Zodiac or Booty Man or um, the Butcher. I feel I the feel Butcher was great, but it's like I think at some point he was like
3: the Man with No Name yeah. or something to that he, like that. the disciple, the disciple. Which um, did, but he, he I'm saying like ripped. But like yeah, if he, he can't. But, but
0: if but if all of those characters came out like a complete fart in church. He wouldn't have gotten a second opportunity with or without hulk hogan's help there's something to be said about Hulk Hogan helping him, mm-hmm. obviously getting him more than one opportunity when someone else wouldn't but he's it's not like he got a zero reaction for any of those characters like I, those characters. Whoa, whoa.
2: Got the be- best
0: possible reaction because they, because they
2: got the rub from Hogan. Well, just so, just to it's be like, fair, right, if Hogan likes him, then we have to just, like him. Just, just to be fair, I was a big
3: Beefcake fan when I was a kid, and that was before I even knew that they were like best friends. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, it was just cheer for the good guys, boo for the bad guys, and I, Beefcake was one of the guys that I think was a great character to have in WWF. WCW is a whole other story. I think it's very clear that Hogan or uh, his success because of Hogan. Mm. WWF, like. It is what it is. I mean, who's who's to know how his career would have went had it not been for the, the his face getting broken? Uh, you know, we'll just never know. But clearly, WCW's career is all because of
2: Hogan.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, not much to say about the Giant versus Loch Ness. Actually, Eric said basically nothing yeah, it was, about it.
2: Because the match <laughs> on the was show. like there was nothing in the match, and it was like two minutes.
1: Right. So let's talk about this tag team Chicago street fight. There's a mouthful for you because versus again. the Road Warriors. Just too long for you. Sh- Other complaints? It was a half
2: hour, It was a half hour of split screen. <laughs> it was a Chicago
0: street fight in Tupelo, Mississippi. <laughs> it should have been a Tupelo street fight
2: with with no titles on the line and one team that aren't friends. <laughs> Were Sting and Luger the champions? Yes. Yeah, cuz I think there was yeah, okay. It made no sense. And also, there was like, there was that backstory where if Booker and Sting won, Sting was going to grant the Harlem Heat a tag title shot for A. Someone he has the authority to do so. B. He didn't discuss it with Luger. (laughs) C. Why is not that being discussed heavily during the course of the match? If that's the only story that's in the match. I
3: thought Luger's thing was weird too. It's like, wait, he's a good guy with Sting, but he's teaming with Dungeon of Doom and managed by Jimmy Hart, and then leaving Jimmy Hart. Yeah, and but but like Sting's like, who's the fool? Like, is Sting bad because he's with Luger, or is Luger like I don't know? The whole thing was weird. Were the Royal Warriors
2: heels?
0: Okay, it was was a cluster F. Yes. What's frustrating is there's enough on the table that we just discussed that that could have made sense to the average viewer, and it didn't. No, not at all. Because let's say Booker T, Harlem Heat can win a number one contender shot if Booker T actually gets the pin. So then you have which he did, but I'm but I'm saying you could then play up tensions not only between Sting Booker T and their opponents, but Sting and Booker T because now Sting has to win. And win handedly, or he'll have to face Harlem Heat. And, and he doesn't Booker's trying to
2: get the pinfall. So like
0: that's actually one big concise story I, you can tell for thirty minutes over top of a match I, with a bunch of guys. I, guys.
2: I, I was nauseous during this match because of all the split screen and not, and, and, no one and, it, and the
3: best was like when they have the split screen, but all the parties are on both screens, just different cameras. It's mi-
2: like okay, you can stop the split screen I, when, they're, when, every, when they're on the same. You know, I like. had to turn away because <laughs> it was uh, like it was so.
1: But it wasn't the worst part of the paper. No, it wasn't. <laughs>
2: But, you know, you have the semi-main and the main, so it's supposed to be, like, the second best and the best. We pretty much had the second worst and the worst. So,
1: thoughts on this Doomsday Cage match, gentlemen?
2: Why? Just just why?
1: Just why? I'll I start think? with
2: why. Okay.
0: Well, why? So, for, why? they
1: have to save Hulkamania! Why? Superpower! Mega power! Whatever.
2: All right. I'm just going to run off, like, several just really quick questions. I'm not going to have the answer to any of them. <laughs> Why three floors and four tiers? Why was Arn Anderson in sweats during the first half and then in regular gear the second half? Why did the face of fear disappear? Why was the object of the match to get out of the cage and then they successfully did, only to go back to the ring and then go back in said cage? Why did Z Gangsta and the (laughs) ultimate solution not show up to the last five minutes of the match? Why was a pinfall involved? Why did nobody try to break up the pinfall? Because there were six other guys in the (laughs) ring. And what was in that glove?
1: It was a loaded glove.
2: Uh, Loaded with what? It was a foreign object. What foreign object? Foreign I want to
0: know. The foreign object was in the glove. I want to know
2: what foreign object was in the little glove. That's just a small taste of the questions I have. The on foreign I'm object cur- is the object.
3: I'm just curious when they were putting the match together, are they like, oh, that was a good idea? They didn't. That was a good one. <laughs> they didn't oh, put man. it together. Dude, that's they didn't. That's, that's the going to go thing. over really
0: well. Man, people are going to love this. Oh, God.
1: <laughs> well, that is what made Eric Bischoff know that he had to get involved. And on that note, I think maybe we should uh, bring him in.
2: I think we have some questions about that, cage. I (laughs) I think think we're ready.
1: All right, guys, stay tuned. We'll be right back with Eric Bischoff. Welcome back to the After Show for 83 weeks with Eric Bischoff, who's joining us live on the line right now. Hello, Eric.
4: Howdy, y'all.
1: Hey, how you doing?
4: Doing great. Doing great.
1: Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. Always good to sit and chat with you. And uh, we're going to kick things off tonight with a fun little game. We, we thought we'd, uh, we'd play around a little bit since you are such a huge fan of gimmick matches.
4: Oh, it's my <laughs> life. I live for gimmick matches.
1: I know. So tonight we're going to play something that I'm calling Gimmick Match Mania. All right, these guys are all going to pitch you a gimmick match. They're going to use, you know, guys from your era and uh, make it probably a little bit outrageous, would be my guess. And you are going to choose which gimmick match you think is the most uncensored worthy. Do you accept this challenge? I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's do it. Steve Kaufman, get us started. Okay. Tag Team Wrestling,
0: The Nasty Boys, Public Enemy, No Ropes. It'll be a tornado tag, but since they're both East
2: Coast guys, you can call it a hurricane tag team. Match. It has to be a no ropes. How they're gonna? Uh, at least uh, you out of the. Hur- add the hurricane is something. That's what I got. I I think I think
0: mid
1: nineties this would play. Okay, so a no ropes tornado match. What do you think, Eric?
4: I'm thinking that the litigation that, that would be a result of a match like that, with those four people flying all over the arena and landing in. A, you know, people's laps and breaking <laughs> hips and legs and arms would probably put the company completely out of business. <laughs> I mean, the visual is interesting, but, yeah, that'd be a tough one to pull up. But let's see what you got. Could be the best one. Who knows? Probably. Uh, all, all
1: right. Take your turn, George This, this match,
4: it's a triple threat
3: match with Bobby Eaton, Dean Malenko, and Jerry Flynn and a personality on a pole match. Where you are going to have a box on the top of a pole. <laughs> They're going to pick out a gimmick for you know the winner because it's WCW. You know the winner gets the gimmick and they get to be that gimmick for the next year. <laughs> That's not bad. It's not bad.
4: Clever. And, sure. and you know,
3: and you know, Bobby E sure. and Malenko is going to be in it, so it's going to be a great match.
4: So, you, how long have you and Vince Russo been friends? <laughs> <laughs>
1: A while.
3: <laughs> I'm the one that gave him the idea for anything on the pole match.
4: Uh, yeah, I believe you now. <laughs> <laughs> Next.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. our right. Uh, let's see. He's two for two on winning these games with you. So, uh, so let's see what you got, th- Christian. Those are
2: when issuing facts. This is fiction, which is normally Steve's forte, so I'm very disappointed in him. <laughs> um, my match is going to be called the Survival of the Gimmick Match. Um, between the booty man and Glacier. And the way it's going to work is both men will start in the ring. No DQ, no count out. The first man to get to the top of the stage and perform their pose wins the match. And the loser will have their gimmick sucked out of them by the Yeti.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Another great visual. I'm
0: not caught up on Wrestling Pro Wrestling. Has all of this already happened? No. Okay.
4: Should you... You said it would be sucked out of them by the Well, it's like, squeezed out. <laughs> I mean, depends. Out. PGT-14 I, depends on the era. We, we, we have a bad connection. I thought you were going, you know, attitude era. <laughs> 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 um, you know, I like the idea of the, you know... Losing gimmick leaves town, kind of thing, because that'd be one, you know, small step for mankind in terms of getting rid of stupid ass gimmicks. So I like, I like the very premise of that match. Actually, I think I would have to go with that one. Three for three, everybody. (laughs) I, I seriously think that that has some legs. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot be beaten. Who wins the match or who loses the match? Everyone. Okay. (laughs) No matter what, disco has to lose. It's a fundamental. Yeah, we'll throw disco the in world. there. <laughs> oh, I thought disco was in there. I no, I said glacier disco. and Booty Man. Oh, oh. Well, when you said gimmick, I automatically
1: <laughs> <laughs> go, go disco.
4: <laughs> it's just it's the first thing. It's like one of those Warbach tests when they open it up and it looks like you we, know smashed butterflies. We, we Whoa, can make it. We fine. can make a triple threat and throw disco in there. That's
2: acceptable. <laughs>
4: There you go. <laughs> and then, if you really wanted to take it to the next level, like year two, you know, after you establish this like amazing wrestling idea that nobody else has ever thought of before, you know, last gimmick standing kind of a thing. We did. There you go. go. Now nice. you got it. Uh, on year two, we can throw DDP in there from, you know, early 90s WCW, you know, because he had every gimmick known to man. And if you put a guy like DDP in that match, the idea about him actually losing his gimmicks back at that time would have he would have been torn inside out. He would have had to see a shrink. Wait,
2: <laughs> maybe we should find a way to have ninety three DDP versus ninety four DDP um, in that match. I throw them both out. Yeah. <laughs> Don't forget WWE Two K 19
0: 93 DDP ninety four DDP. I
3: Eric can't believe the need to have the right. Leslie gimmicks, that <laughs> Zodiac, Booty Man, the Barber, the Butcher, all in WWE Two K twenty. Was
4: he not? I mean, you know, I make fun of gimmicks sometimes because it's fun. You know, it's it's like going back and looking at your high school pictures. You know, Mm -hmm. you go back and you look at your. Now, back when you were in high school, you thought, man, I look pretty good today. This is pretty freaking awesome. And then you go back and you look at it like 30 years later. You go, oh, my God. (laughs) Why? Why did you dress like that? Why did you have hair like that? And, And so it's fun to go back and look at these silly gimmicks that everybody had back in the day. But of the silly gimmicks. You know, if there was a list of the top hundred, you know, dumbass gimmicks, I'd have to put Booty Man at the top. <laughs> he was, he was a collage of stupid. <laughs> just.
1: And and end quote on that. Yes. <clears throat> All right. Well, Kristen Rosenberg, you are the winner of Gimmick Match Media. I,
2: I just can't lose, and no matter what game we play.
1: Congratulations. Well, uh, now we get to uh, my favorite. Part of the show, the juicy stuff. We're gonna, we're gonna squeeze a little juice out of our friend Eric here and ask him some questions. Christy,
2: that... stop. You're nuts.
1: <laughs> I know. Is this attitude error? What's
2: happening here? It's,
1: wow. It's, it's the we're 90s. taking this show to a whole other level, and it's not good. <laughs> All right, okay. 96. You said on this episode of your sh- podcast that this is the pay per view where you knew that you had to get more involved in creative. What made you think that you were the right guy to get involved and turn it around instead of hiring someone else? And did you ever consider getting rid of anyone that was on the creative team at that time?
4: Really, really good question. Thank you for it. Um, It it was at this time when I – it's not so much that I felt like I was the person to turn it around. Quite frankly, I was really – intimidated by the process. I had no real desire or instinct that drew me to the creative side of things. I didn't aspire to be involved in it. If Truth be known, if I would have had my way, um, creative would have gone so well by itself that I wouldn't have felt the need to get involved. Mm-hmm. But we kept coming up short, and we kept trying to hire people. You know, there was nobody to hire. You can't put an ad you know, on LinkedIn for a wrestling booker. <laughs> you know, um, you need somebody that, that has the feel and the instinct because creative, it's an art. It's not a science. It's not like anybody can sit down and and figure out where all the tools that go into the toolbox are and then just go do it. It's not building a wall. It's not building a house. It's, it's, it's art. It's not science. And part of that is having the instinct and the feel. You can't teach instinct and feel, you know, experience helps, you know, but, um, I just felt like, You know, I tried you know mixing and matching Rick Flair's and booking and Kevin Sullivan's and booking and I had Greg Gagne. We had Mike Graham and we had Terry Taylor and we had. It was a constant you know, rotating door of people getting involved in creative. We just weren't making any real progress. We kept kind of doing the same things over and over again, Mm -hmm. and and that's when I realized that if I if I want what I see in my head to actually happen, I just can't completely delegate. I didn't see myself as the guy coming in and taking over, by the way. I came in very quietly, and my ideas were subtle ones and small ones until I felt like I was really getting a feel of things. So when I inserted myself in creative, it was with much trepidation, and it took a long time for me to kind of feel like my voice was even equal to those people around me, even though I wasn't happy with the work that they were doing. Wow. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it does. Very interesting.
0: So speaking of creative input, what was Hulk Hogan's reaction? Monday morning, the Doomsday Cage happened. What was Hulk Hogan's reaction to that finished product?
4: It was something like
1: this. He's taking a sip of his beer. Brother,
4: <laughs> what do we do? How'd you let me do that, brother? <laughs> um... You know, I don't recall that, that, you know, I don't think anybody felt like it was great and nobody felt like it was that horrible. And it's hard, you know, when I say that, you know, I I almost hesitate to say it because I know what people are going to think when they hear me say it. But again, take take yourself back in time. Go take a look at what WWE or WWF was doing in 1996. It was all cornball stupid stuff. (laughs) There was very little really, really good You know, Nitro era, Attitude era. Nothing was even coming close to that, you know, for WWF. And this pay per view took place before we really, you know, wrapped our arms around the NWO and all that. So we were still living off that 80s hangover, I think, from a creative point of view. And as such, the guys in it went, wow, for what it was, it was pretty good. Hmm. You know, they probably felt differently about it after they got home and watched it. (laughs) Because, and then, you know, that's the other thing, too. The way things feel. When you're out there and you're doing it, it's completely different than the way it looks when you're sitting home, eating a pizza, drinking a Diet Coke. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it Sometimes it doesn't translate. And when you're in the thick of it and you're having fun and you're trying to remember all this crazy stuff that you got going on and you're trying to stand up without falling down in that ridiculous cage, um, you don't realize how bad things are until you go home and watch it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that high school picture. Oh, my God. Like, let me do that. No. Oh.
3: Just to call a follow, just to kind of follow what you just said. WWF ha- just had a crybaby match between Razor Ramon and once your kid just a couple weeks before. So it's, it's not like they were doing much better on, on, on WWE TV, But uh, and just kind of follow up to, to that question. Nobody kind of walked to the back and was like, "All right, killed it, totally rocked that match." Like everyone was kind of like, "Eh," like Flair, R, and Sullivan. Like no, look
4: at the end of a pay per view. You know, at the end of the main event. No matter how good or how bad it was, you, the performers in the ring, for the most part, you still gotta, they're living off a little bit of adrenaline. Mm-hmm. So their feelings about what just took place is probably a little different after the fact. I'm not kidding. That, than it you know would be if they were sitting in the seats watching it. No, nobody was like doing cartwheels. Nobody was high fiving. But nobody was like, you know, wanting to throw themselves out in front of a moving truck either. So it was probably anywhere in the middle.
3: Were there any plans to bring back,
4: uh, I guess, Z Gangsta or Zeus at all? No. no, that was a one-off. And it, you know, it it was a one-off. Let's just leave it at that.
2: <laughs> uh, speaking of what you were saying as far as, like, what was uh, visually um, appealing, with the setup of the cage, with that live crowd and where it was located, obviously it was going to be tough for a lot of the people there to view it. And you've had, you know, whether it's the War Games matches or World War Three, where you've had multiple rings in the center of, Why have this set up by the stage?
4: Just because of the construct of the building, um, where audio was, where lighting had to be, the size of the cage. There were just a lot of uh, space issues, and that was the only place we could put it. You've got fire hazards. and You get all kinds of of, uh, variables that kind of mandate how you set up a building. And because the cage was so tall, uh, and, and because of the size of it, really it was fire codes probably more than anything that required us to put it where we did.
1: And this show also included an intergender match uh, featuring Medusa. Do you feel that there's a place for intergender wrestling nowadays?
4: I don't know, Chrissy. You know, a couple years ago, I would have said, sure, why not? Yeah. You know, but now we live in a culture where people are, they get up in the morning, they have a pot of coffee and a shot of Ritalin and <laughs> they spend their entire freaking day looking for a way to become a victim or to become mm-hmm. offended or to become woke about something
1: <laughs> yes. that they were
4: woke <laughs> about yesterday. So I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, cause I'm, you know, I'm a pretty basic guy, really I'm thinking, you know, in today's culture, which I don't even, you know, it'll be different tomorrow than it is today. That's how quickly it's changing. But it's like, if you believe in equality and you believe men and women are equal and you believe all this stuff and a woman wants to get in the ring and have a match with a man, then why the hell not? Yeah. Why would you say that's wrong? Why would anybody be offended about that? Why would there be a group of people who you know, got woke in the morning and decided that a man having scripted violence against a woman is probably going to somehow end the world in 12 years as we know it or whatever they come up with? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. To me, it seems like, why the hell not? She wants to do it, he wants to do it, and it makes sense, and it could be entertaining for the fans. Why not? But I think it's a very fine line. You know, I'm glad I'm not producing wrestling in today's environment because the line is not only a fine line, it's a fine line that changes every day.
0: Mm-hmm. Gosh, it's so true. So we spoke a lot about uh, Brian Pillman on this show, and I know you hate hypotheticals, so I'll word it, <laughs> I'll word it slightly different. I hate different. him! <laughs> I I'll... hate him. What do you think someone like Brian Pillman would be able to do in today's wrestling landscape?
4: He was so far ahead of his time that he'd fit right in right about now. Mm-hmm. I mean, really think about that, 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 because that character, that loose cannon character to to my knowledge, and I'm sure there's somebody, you know, you guys are probably way smarter than I am about the history. And you remember more shit than I do, which is not really saying much, (laughs) (laughs) But, but if you go back in time, who else ever had a character like that and took it to that extreme to convince people that he was really half nuts. I mean, he, he was so far ahead of his time that he'd probably still be a little bit ahead of his time today, you know, 20-some odd years later.
3: Uh, kind of going back to Medusa, when you brought in Medusa, was the plan to have like a woman's division like you just had created a cruiserweight division? And if that was the plan, then where did it
4: go wrong? Yeah, mean, it wasn't you, the plan. You know, here's, here's the, you know, the bare knuckles truth on that. I had known Medusa since I broke into the wrestling business in 1987 in the AWA. That's where Medusa broke in. Mm-hmm. We worked together. She was brand new in the wrestling business. So was I. We just got along. Um, we, we had a lot of mutual friends, and her personality is the kind of personality I like spending time around. So we, we hit it off right off the bat. And we stayed friends for quite a while and we were friends in WCW and then she went to WWF. I went on to become president of the company. And one day she, one evening she called me up and said, Hey, I just got fired. Do you have anything for me? And because she was a friend and because I had respect for her as a talent, it wasn't just because she was a friend. I want to make that really clear. She was a friend that just happened to have a tremendous amount of talent in my opinion. And I went, sure. You always have a home here if I'm here. Bring your shit. Come on down. Hmm. And I hired her without a plan because I knew I'd come up with one or try to.
3: Well, because I know I know a little bit down the road you brought in Akira Hokuto and they actually had a match for the WCW Women's Championship. Was that just kind of like still kind of going with the flow and seeing what goes out of it, or were there more plans well, you know, of bringing more women? Can,
4: again, you guys, you know if you can, and I know you were, you know, probably like nine <laughs> or. <whatever. laughs> back in back back sure. but, <laughs> but I'm sorry I'm just full of my <laughs> but you know if you go back in 95, 96 there weren't a lot of women wrestlers out there it wasn't a thing you know you had to look long and hard to find women that you really mm. want to put on TV that were good enough to have any kind of an angle a long term storyline with it's not like today, you know, because of what WWE has done frankly, I think more than anybody, you know, it's encouraged a lot of women to, you know, try to get into the business. So now you've got you've got a pool of talent that's probably 300% larger today than it was in 1996. So the idea of creating a division of women, look, when I created a Cruiserweight division, I had to, you know, put it together between the United States, Mexico and Japan. That was for a cruiserweight division, a man. So putting together a women's division at that time was a monumental challenge, and it was never the plan. The reason, you know, we use we use. We knew that they could go out there and have a great match together. We knew that they had chemistry, but there was no real plan beyond that. Um,
2: going into the the Chicago. Street fight, 18-hour marathon match. Um, I'm just wondering, was Stevie Ray injured? Is that why Booker T was the one selected? And if not, what was Stevie Ray's reaction for you guys using Booker instead of him?
4: Uh, I, 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 I hate to say I don't recall because I get my ass kicked every time I say that. And I don't really say it that often. But... There's no way I think I could possibly remember what Stephen Ray's – first of all, I don't remember if he was injured or not. God damn. There's no way I'm going to remember whether somebody was injured (laughs) over a given match 25 years ago. So I don't feel bad that I don't remember, (laughs) but I don't. Um,
3: I was just going to cut in. – I'm sorry. I'm just going to cut in. I think the original play was Sting and Luger against the Road Warriors. But Luger was put in that main event match, hence Sting. Why, why are you
2: correcting my question
4: that I'm <laughs> no, asking I Eric? because I
3: think you thought it was supposed to be Harlem Heat versus the Road Warriors.
2: No,
4: I never said what? that at hey, all. Hey, guys, guys. <laughs> if you guys can't get your shit together, <laughs> <laughs> could you just have Chrissy ask the question?
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, thank goodness you're here, Eric. Jeez. <laughs> all right any more questions for this uh, uh
3: for this go, go, gentleman? you go ahead uh, I wanted well, to cut you oh, off. No.
2: i just want to know well the one other thing i want to know why frying pans why booty man hand frying pans of anything into the cage
4: because we were out of garbage cans you know anytime you have a batch like that everybody loves garbage cans because they're big you know well they weigh all of about you know 11 and a half ounces and they fold up like a gum wrapper, but it looks really cool, right? So we were we, – I think we had gone through all of the garbage cans that we had in our budget for that pay-per-view. <laughs> and we were down to pizza pans. OK. Um, there was fake waffle iron underneath the ring, and but nobody could figure out, you know, how to work it. So <laughs> we left that where it was. I'm not really sure.
1: <laughs> what to do with right. the waffle iron? <laughs>
3: Uh, you guys talked about Johnny B. Bad and Mark Merrill for a little bit on this episode. Did you ever meet Sable? And if you did ever meet her before the jump, did you ever consider bringing
4: her on as a, as a character in WCW? Oh, that's a good No, one. I had known Sable for quite some time. Uh, when I was an announcer before I got into management, um, there was a couple because Johnny obviously was a big boxing fan. And we would go over. Sometimes it was just uh, DDP and myself, or sometimes I think my wife came in, in with us once or twice. We go over there and watch boxing on pay per view, and and uh, have a big dinner and a great time together. You know, a bunch of us. So, sure, I knew her, and she would come to the arena uh, with Mark before she ever stepped in front of a camera. So, yeah, I I, I spent a fair amount of time with her. Uh, you know, when she was married to Mark. Never really got to know her very well. She's very quiet. She she kept to herself and pretty much stayed out of uh off the radar and out of everybody's way, but was very nice, very polite and fun to be around. Oh,
1: okay.
4: Know, that was a good one. <laughs> to, to, answer, to answer your question, I'm sorry, I forgot to actually answer the question. <laughs> I go on and on and on and I go, Wow, fuck, I didn't even answer the question. Uh <laughs> No, I never thought about bringing her in as a talent because if you would have met her back then, she was the most quiet, um, just shy, you know, almost extremely introverted. So it never would have occurred to me that she would have ever mm. even wanted anywhere near the front of the camera. Mm-hmm. Shows you what I knew. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I knew she's on the cover of Playboy.
4: But yeah, De- Deborah McMichael ended up being
3: a, a valet gets in WCW, right?
1: All right, we (laughs) we have thoroughly harassed Eric. I think enough Uh,
2: for this evening.
1: So uh, we're going to let you go. But thank you so much for your time, and uh, we'll see you next week.
4: Thank you, Eric. Thank you. Thank you, you guys.
1: All right. Wow, that was you guys. Uh, You guys coming in hot tonight? Apparently, I'm just
3: saying. Like Stevie Ray wasn't even part of the equation. It was supposed to be Sting and Luger. So (laughs) I would Stevie Ray. Sting picked up Booker T. So what does Stevie Ray have anything
2: to do with with it? I wasn't looking. I was just wondering why they chose Booker over
4: Stevie,
1: guys. I, I think I can settle this. There's a waffle iron under the table here. If you uh, really, it, really want, want to work it out. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, guys, if they want to support you or tell you that you are either right or wrong, all of our fans out there, where can they hit you up at?
2: Well, you can compliment me on continuing to win every game we throw at Eric by tweeting me at Will Rosenberg Instagram the Ror Rosenberg prowrestlingtees.com dot slash Christian Rosenberg and check me out hosting the SmackDown AfterBuzz Recap Show on AfterBuzz TV. Yeah. That, was a, that was a great announcement by Tom last night, by the way. Yeah, good, a good announcement. Uh, you can follow me G H E R
3: M O Z A G Hermosa. The uh, March what? March twenty Save <laughs> the date. Wrestling, pro wrestling. It's myself, Fidel Bravo, one on one with him and El Tucho Sicario on the, and his manager role Roll, you're going down, Fidel Bravo.
2: I will not lose my title. Next time you cut a promo, March
3: twenty <laughs> Save the date. <laughs>
0: I am Steve Coffin. You can find me on Twitter almost exclusively at Steve Coffin. That is K-A-U-F-M-A-N-N. I'm involved on in a lot of YouTube pages, including this one. If I tweeted the link, chances are I'm involved. So support me by supporting that.
1: And you guys can always hit me up at Christie Reports. I love to hear from you. And we will see you next week. It looks like Spring Stampede 1997 has won the poll. Whew. That one featured, the, of course, the main event between DDP and Randy Savage. So we'll be breaking it down. We'll see you next week.